Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter, at AndrewRP. Joining me once again is League Freak, who you can find on Twitter, at League Freak. How are you this fine morn? I'm really good this fine morn. Uh, really excited about this episode, as I am every single episode, but we've got a very special guest and somebody that has their own podcast and likes our podcast and always like things like that. Yeah, we like we like a bit of mutual love. Yeah. Uh, so. Today that we're the... so dodgy. That's why I was moving on so quickly. <laughs> um, today we've got the editor of Inside Sport Magazine, a retro rugby league connoisseur, host of the Dead in Gold podcast. You can find him on Twitter at James Smith one thousand and one. Welcome to the brilliant James Smith. Oh, thank you very much, fellas. That's the best intro ever. Fantastic. Thoroughly undeserved, but uh, it's a thrill to be on on your show. I've, I've enjoyed it since. Um, since you first kicked off, it's uh, yeah, and it's bit, bit bit surreal being a part of it. So it's going to be fun. You're being far too kind. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, so sorry, Andrew. <laughs> sorry, James. Um, Inside Sport, you've got a new edition out coming out this month, yep. and it's got one of the game's best. I think he's maybe top. I would say he's a top five player in the game right now on the front cover. Uh, Cameron Munster, tell us a little bit about the issue that's coming out, and uh, it's on sale now, I believe, from today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, thanks for letting me talk about it. Yeah, uh, it's that's our news agents from from today, and um, having uh, Cameron on the cover was a bit of an idea I, I had a couple of months ago because w- when you work in magazines, you have to um, you have to think well in advance, and what happens a lot of the time is athletes you know go through controversial things and they get injured and and you know they drop in and out of form but Cameron um was was someone I had in mind because he just is just a safe um superstar these days and you can tell that his star is on the rise and I thought oh, if I marry it up with the July issue it comes out just after Origin 1 should be um it should be good timing and 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 thankfully he um he's gone through the year uninjured and and uh, had a pretty pretty solid um, origin one and, and looks like he's going to, you know, lead, lead Queensland um, for the rest of the series and, and who knows, in, in a couple of years' time, um, take over from DCE as a skipper and, and inspire them going forward. So, yeah, I, I really wanted him to, uh, to be on the cover sometime this year and, um, yeah, so that was, the, that was the thinking behind that. And the story is mainly about um, it's my, my, typical, <laughs> my typical sort of interview where, um, we all know who he is, but who, who, who's the bloke? Like, wh- wh- where's he from? I didn't know anything about his past. Like, wasn't really particularly interested in the off-field controversial stuff. But I just wanted, I, I'd like to know who, yeah, who people are. Like, you know, what was their first taste or touch with rugby league? And, um, and, he, and he was really good about that. He went right back to his junior days. Um, you know, coming through the ranks with Corey Oates and um, back in Rockhampton, and yeah, he's, he's, it's, it's coming out really well. Really happy with it. Yeah, and it's I guess it's one of the features that because I I was buying Inside Sport when I was a teenager. I used to read it in roll call, and it's one of the things I always liked about it is that instead of doing like the regular profile of a player or regular like the the thing that you sort of see everywhere else, Inside Sport has always seemed to take a bit of a different tack and 
and looked at a player, as you say, instead of looking at the off-field stuff, which a lot of people have done and, and things like that, you look into his past. And I've always liked that about inside sport, that they will take a somebody that you know in the sporting world and they will they will give you a sense of who they are more as a person or something from their background that really formed them into the champion that they are. And it's that's one of the fantastic things about your magazine. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, Freak. Um, and and it sort of it feels weird being being where we are in the marketplace and 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 being with, with you know within the media cycle. I often wonder what what people think of it from the outside because like I don't and, and nobody else from the inside sport team really goes to press conferences or anything like that. But we still end up coming up with these with these yarns um, every month. And and the thing is, we're not really chasing the the to the minute story about these people like. And, and and to be fair to the to the subject, there's a lot more going on um, with the character than than what happens on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so yeah, if you want if you do want to meet meet Cameron Munster and and you know what what else makes him tick, yeah, you're going to read a mag like ours. So yeah, and 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 it's and, and that's a really satisfying thing about being with the magazine. We've always done that, um, and yeah, it's 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 a really fun way to do things. I reckon, yeah. Do you find that there's any huge differences in the backstory or childhood, say, of past players who you've spoken to on the podcast and, you know, for the magazine compared to those today? Um, like uh, like you're talking about, say, basically comparing Greg Florimo with Cameron Munster as far as the, the background goes, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. Look, so not so much about the actual first grade career, but their yeah. path to get into first grade and, you know, what yeah. their childhood was like and any hardships they had. Oh, yeah, oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, definitely is like um, you, you talk to you talk to those old blokes from the seventies and the eighties, and their their stories always revolve around their working life and how footy um, interacted with that. Whereas, whereas, yeah, the young blokes of today, the first thing they'll tell you about their careers is what was the first rep team they they entered. So, like, I got into Harold Matthews at Parramatta or Penrith, and you know, so like. Yeah, and, and and that's basically where where it goes from there. You you are a little bit limited as to as to how much they'll give away because they think that you want to hear all about about those initial rep teams, whereas you want to yeah you you do want to find out you know yeah where where are you actually from and and how come yeah you know you got into footy that sort of thing. But they find those questions really interesting. A lot of the modern stars, you know, for the first time they you know. Um, the, a journey isn't after a soundbite; they're actually after a story about where they came from, and yeah, and it just ends up being a really fun experience chatting to to even the modern players uh, for the magazine. So it's good, yeah. And do you do you sense that moment when you're talking to a player and you're almost seeing them that they realise, hang on, this is a little bit different to what I'm used to. As you say, you're not just looking for a soundbite; you're not looking for the oh yeah, I played in this rep team and that rep team and blah blah blah. That they're actually, it's like oh, I've got a chance here to talk about like who I am. Do you see that that moment in a lot of these these athletes where they they sense that out of out of you when you're interviewing them? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and it comes pretty pretty early, pretty early on. Like it only takes a couple of minutes for for a player to realise that you're not. You know that 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 they're not looking at you, and you're thinking headline, you know, or or opening para of the of the ten paragraph clickbait story. Like, mm. um, and, and I'm a pretty chilled out sort of person naturally, anyway. So I can I can really sit down with a with a Paul Gallen or or 
or whoever like that, and they will give me more, um, you know, sort of going off instinct than what they would, you know, a, 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 a daily sort of journey. I think <laughs> you yeah. can't say names. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, and, and, and the thing is, I don't really know any of them, so I'm not going to pretend yeah. to that any of them are, are close mates or enemies yeah. or whatever. But yeah, I don't really know any of them. But but yeah, it, it's that's that's an important thing when you when you're sitting down to write a long form story, you really have to give off a vibe that you know there's no hurry here. Like I'm not I'm not trying to drive things in a particular direction. Just just chill out and. And, and tell your story. So it, it, it does help a lot that way, yeah. Do you find some of the players in those situations, especially the, the current ones too, that they yeah. try and put their guard up as soon as you want to ask them something because of any sort of apprehension they may have about, you know, what's he going to ask about? Oh, definitely, yeah. And, and even if, yeah, yeah you, you noticed, you, like when you meet a, a modern player, you, you start to have this normal conversation that you would with any other human. And then when, and then, when it comes time to um, sort of start the interview, you start talking, you start saying things like, oh, okay, we might, might kick off now then, hey. Your first question is, it's like you're talking to a different player, a different person almost. It's like, yeah, okay, the game has started. Here's, here's my, um, you know, Q&A style. And, and, and to, be fair to, to be fair to the player, like, they've grown up watching the generation before them talking to the media and so that's how they've done it and so that that's how they must do it as well it, it, it's 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 pretty it's pretty interesting from their side like what what they think the media game is um and to be, and to be fair to them the media hasn't treated the players very well over the last couple of years so yeah there's, there is this automatic wall that goes up pretty much 100 percent of the time until you're about 20 or 30 minutes into an interview and then it's not there anymore. They, they start to trust you and, and know that you're going to write a positive story about them um, in a magazine that goes for eight pages. So it's not, that's not really, really the environment for, for your soundbite, is it? It'd have to be a long soundbite for, to carry that off. So, yeah, that, that's how that works for me, I've, I've found. So have you ever had an interview with an athlete where you – you kind of obviously you know a fair bit about them when you go in into it, but where the interview at some point they started telling you something about their story as a person and it really jumped out at you or shocked you or you realised that you were finding out something about this person that a lot of people didn't know and that was going to be the basis or, or, the, or the main storyline that you were going to be writing about. Was there is there one that really has jumped out at you over your time writing for Inside Sport? Yeah, probably, um, and this is, this is a bit left field, but the former uh, Diamonds captain in netball, uh, Laura Geitz, um, I've always looked at her as the, um, the archetypical Australian sporting captain, you know, um, a perfect um, appearance and leadership and, and all that kind of thing. And um, she started telling me how her first game as Diamonds skipper um, the coach pulled her off the court halfway through the game because oh. she wasn't managing it very well. <laughs> that just that, that, that shocked me. I thought that, that's not how captaincy works. Like it is, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be the captain, and out I go, and and um, and and this is me leading the team. And and what she was saying was she stuffed it up so badly. She was thinking about everybody else's job and not her own, and so she left her her defensive role. Uh, it, it was in tatters. 
she was worried about everybody else instead of <clears throat> trusting everybody else's um, instinct and abilities um, as, as players themselves. That, that's probably the one that, that sticks that sticks out the most. Oh, that's that's massive for a player to relive a story um, un, 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 um, un, uh, you know, prompted. Prompted, yeah. To, yeah, yeah, to, you know, to bring that, that first game up where there was that time where I got pulled off the court and I was the Australian captain in my first game as captain. It's, that, that, that really um, revealed a human side uh, yeah. to her that day for me. So that, that always sticks in my mind, that story. Yeah. Now, you are a uh, self-confessed retro footy fan. No yeah. doubt about it. Uh, I was wondering what period of the game do you think defines retro footy? And I've got a really, really bad analogy. And that is um, when I go to JB Hi-Fi these days and you go to the retro music area, <laughs> you used to go there. And it used to be always music from the 70s and 80s. And I go there now and there's like the albums of Nirvana are there. And I sit there arguing and go, I'm not retro. <laughs> I never used to be retro. Now all of a sudden I'm in the retro period. <laughs> That's great. What what period in time do you think is is um the period that you define as as retro that you love the most? Yeah, now these days I think it's just I think it's the eighties. Yeah, I, I know where you're coming from though. Like ten years ago, I would have thought it was the seventies. And the thing that uh, um, strikes me about the word retro is you know how you used to see all the the daggy sort of writing um, on on street signs and all that sort of thing. It was. It was like supposed to be really flashy. It was basically two lines um, drawn for every word. Anyway, it's hard to explain, but but yeah, yeah, that that was like the '70s sort of, of fonts that were around at the time. But but yeah, now as far as footy goes, it's the '80s for sure. I, I, my my brain, as soon as somebody says retro footy, it just goes straight to those '1980s editions of Big League with um, people like Clifty Lyons on the cover and and you know the the the, the team pages that were just basically. Um, white pages with black ink on them, team list, team emblems up up either side, and that yep. that's that's my that's my awesome memories of, of the eighties. It's just and and it is idealising something that was uh, again pr- pretty daggy when you think about it, when you think back. To it. <laughs> but I guess yeah. the the game also felt a bit more innocent back then. Like you didn't have all the media intruding into every good, bad, and or I suppose mostly bad part of what was going on. It was just sort of these are your footy. All your footy heroes and I talk about them every week, and it was just, that's just the only sort of real interaction you had with them. So it was, I suppose, a bit more of an innocent time for for rugby league. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And the thing is, like, I bet you, um, uh, you know, sadly passed away a number of years ago. But I bet you, if you ask Chippy Falingos what his relationship with the players were, he he pumped out breaking story day after day. But I bet you he drank with so many of them. Like he would have had really trusting relationships with, with these blokes. It's just a different world now. But, but um, just to, to go back to that innocent sort of part, I remember there's, I think there's a grand final, I, I want to say it's um, 89 or 88 or, or, or something, but there's footage of, of the, the dying moments of um, the Winfield Cup grand final from one of those years. And, like, you know how they start to show, you know, they start to sort of pan, they look for the trophy sitting on a on a pedestal and, and they say, oh, this is what they, this is what so-and-so is about to win in 10 minutes' time. Look at all, look at the Winfield Cup in all its glory. And, and, and it wasn't that on this stage. What, what they did was they started panning for the trophy. And, and he, like, you know how the cameraman runs up and down 
uh, the sidelines and, and the cords are always like um you know tangled up somewhere like who, who knows what what they lead to but mm. basically the winfield cup they found it about 10 minutes to go <laughs> till the green final is over and it's just sitting on the grass on top of a bunch of cables uh, <laughs> on the sideline <laughs> it's like you wouldn't have thought anything about it at the time you would have gone oh there's a trophy yeah cool yeah but now it's like that was that was probably the most famous trophy the game will ever have yeah. <laughs> just sitting on the grass. I, I love that. There, yeah. yeah, that's that's rugby league for you, and it's not going to change. Like you can introduce high salaries to players and stuff, but it's still the same, you know, demographic of people playing the game, isn't it? Like really. Yeah, I, I yeah. always think about what would happen now if the uh, the current trophy was dropped off the back of a car on the highway like Mel Meninga did, oh. and the just people would go crazy for about a million different reasons. And back then it was like, let's just wrap a towel around it and still hold it up. <laughs> I'd laugh yeah, it off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the first thing would be, would first issue would be, um, you know, and, and what would happen was it would fall off the back of the of the ute or whatever. It'd smash through somebody's windscreen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, someone would get hurt. They'd drive up the side of the road. And it'd just it'd be this massive string of events. It sounds like you're pitching an Amy ad. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Damn it. <laughs> and um, it'd all get traced back and it'll all be Todd Greenberg's fault. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and a referee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if he hadn't have awarded that penalty yet, that those players would have gotten blasted and done all this other stuff. Yeah, they wouldn't have won it. They wouldn't have lost it. It's always the ref's fault. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just ignore the other seventy-nine and a half minutes of play. Yeah, and yeah it's, it's another area altogether, isn't it? Yeah, it's. Oh, yeah. it's I was going to say. Um, so, what aspect from that period would you like yeah. to see return to the game? We've already got facial hair back. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe tape yeah. around the ears? Yeah, like, why did that stop? Because it's like people still have heads and ears. Like, what, why, did, why did that, what was even that for anyway? Was that to stop people's ears from getting ripped off? Or like, I assume, I assume it has something to do with the way the scrums were in the old days. I, yeah. I, I assume hookers in the scrums would probably try and grab opposing front rowers' ears or something like that. I don't know. Oh, okay. It's too crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, um, uh, triggered a thought there. I want to see proper scrums returned, um, and and I think if if you had that, you know, we're always looking for ways to tire the players out and make it more of, of a game of attrition and blah blah blah. If you made those forwards work extra hard, pushed against against each other in a scrum, that would be quite taxing in, in itself. Whereas now scrums are just, you know, they're opportunities for the players to have a breather, um, and the Oh, a couple of a couple of months ago, I was watching a Newcastle game, and this really ticked me right off and, and made me think, what's the point of these scrums anyway? Um, it was towards the end of the game. I can't remember who was winning, but the, the, the scrum was near the sideline, and the scrum was that important that um, Edric Lee was feeding the ball into the scrum. <laughs> and, and I thought, this is this is the official death of the scrum. Like, what's the point of all this? It's like a it's like a dance that we have to have where like no one even tries and then and then what what happens is I love it when one team decides to push they've obviously planned for it at training oh, what we'll do is we'll actually push in the scrum and I've seen that I've seen that lot like, teams who do that get penalised for pushing 
Yeah. It's like, this is wrong. Like, and anyway, uh, that, that, that's what I'd love to see back because they were hookers back then. They shouldn't be called hookers now. They should be called number nines. Like, mm. you know, we've never seen Cameron Smith hook for a ball, have we? Well, I haven't. Whereas no. you see all those, all those old press pitches taken during matches and poor Roy Simmons looks half dead as he's on the bottom of the scrum. And, you know, that's, that's why these blokes don't look very well these days because uh, they're on the bottom of these scrums. And, and, and before, without ranting too much, the, the scrum wins used to be, um, a, a, you know, a, a point of honour, like a real point of difference between the teams now. And, and now you don't even know what the scrum count is. So No, yeah, they, yeah, they used to be a stat, didn't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they used to, in that, again, in that old big league magazine, there used to be a box and you kept the scrum count. Um, mm. Does that make me sound old enough for you? Oh, yeah. No, I used to do the same thing. And I remember there was a game and it might have been in about 89. Yep. And I was listening to it on the radio and I was trying to keep up with the scrum counts for the first time. And I think the box only went up to, to 15 for penalties and scrums. And this yeah. game was yeah, played right. in absolute mess. I think it was at Arana Park. It might have been Balmain and West. And it was just an absolute dog of a game. And there's still about 20 minutes left to go, and I'd already circled all of the 15 boxes on the west side for scrums. I was like, <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, then, and then, yeah, in, in today's game, that would be it would still be a ref's fault, despite the fact that there was a need for 15 scrums in the game or more. Yeah, oh, it would still, yeah. still be ref's fault, yeah. I, so yeah. I like to think the last proper scrum we had was when Anthony Watts had a go at Robbie Farah, and then the next scrum, Robbie Farah beat the shit out of Anthony Watts. I like to think that's the last real scrum we had in rugby league. But I've I've often thought about if they had a rule where they're not allowed to reset the scrum. Like, once the ball's away, doesn't matter what happens, the referee has to say play on so that... If there's a push in the scrum, it doesn't matter. If the scrum falls apart, like, they should just go on with it. And I think that that would turn a scrum into a contest again because yeah. both teams would know there, there really is a chance that we could get the ball back here. And outside of having the, you know, the hooker just drop out the bottom of the scrum and jump on the ball, like, yeah. if they just said, what it, once you feed the scrum, it's play on no matter what, I, I think that would have a big effect on a scrum. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right because the, the, calling a scrum back that that's that's a bit of a joke too because yeah you you've called all these players into this corner of the field and everyone's here and the ball's out no no and, and it's almost as if they're saying no no that didn't look that that didn't look right let let's do it again yes yeah. and, and it's really strange the other the, I will um, hate to talk about scrums all all day but <laughs> the, the thing about them also is. Just the very nature of them is a bit weird, isn't it? So one one team drops the ball, and if you go by my theory of feeding them properly and make sure they're contested properly, if you drop the ball, you have a fifty percent chance of, of getting the ball back. That, yeah. That's a bit weird in itself, too. So just to yeah, just to confuse things a little bit. Well, yeah. there was a period in the uh, in the mid twenties where that go drone on too much about history, where the game actually decided in off season that it was going to trial where the referee fed the scrum. Oh, yeah, yep. Just to make yep. it fair and even. Oh, can you imagine the drama there? All you yeah. hear is he's feeding it in more into their side than ours. And Exactly right, which is why after about two or three weeks of trialling it, they went, no, we're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, probably the, the best solution would be for the props on, on, on that side where the ball is being fed to just create like a, a tunnel or something and the ball has to go in there, um, you know. 
Yeah. I've got an idea, and that is that a scrum should be the only place where punching is legal. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. That would attract the the mums to the sport, wouldn't it? That would be great. Well, this is a funny thing. There's this talk that, you know, punching was causing mums and, and women and kids to turn away. And I was watching the the game. Was that, it might have been on the weekend when South had all that bit of a brouhaha in their game. And at halftime, um, Yvonne O'Keefe says there's a you know a bit of a good old stick-up. It was fantastic to watch. I went, she's supposed to be the person they're protecting. And she's sitting there going, I love fighting. Bring it back. I know. I know. <laughs> what, what, what do you do with that? Like somebody who actually likes the old school fiber of the sport like yeah you, you can't have that yeah silence yeah. them <laughs> yeah 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 oh well no it's interesting watching that dynamic play out isn't it like you got a bunch of um x40 players on the panel um but they're supposed to be all ultra modern about stuff um <laughs> I, I don't know where you were going to go with this interview but did you see um tommy's interview <laughs> with Yvonne um like no, a couple I of weeks ago it. Yeah, I missed it too. Oh, it's so good. Like, yeah, you got to watch it. And and basically, I think she asks a question. They start talking about Arthur Beats and then how great mates Artie and um and Tommy were. And and I think she asks him something like, "What did you like most about um Artie?" You know, I think she was expecting what a good bloke he was and how loyal and understanding he was. And then he just went into this story about how in a test match. Artie um, smashed this pommy player's jaw in a scrum. And he, and he said, oh, like he was like reminiscing the hell out of that story. It's like, well, there you go. <laughs> you, you've got an old player in front of you and you ask them about the old game. Like, yeah, that's kind of what you get. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, true story. I went to um, Newcastle with my missus several years ago and we got off and we were waiting for a taxi at the front of the airport there and standing there just having a chat amongst themselves with no one else around was just Tommy and Artie. Really? Wow. Yeah. I was just standing there having a chat. And I went, and the funny thing is, I used to work at the East Leagues Club, and I used to see Arthur Beatson when he was working there coming in. He was the only bloke who'd say good day to everyone as he's walking through. The rest were all just coaching staff and players. They just walk through to wherever they're having their meeting. Yeah. And I was always working near the, the front area where they came in, and he always said good day to me. And when we saw him at the airport, he looked at me, and he had that look in his eye of, I know you. Wow. Isn't that, isn't that great? Like, he just... And he was, he's always up for a chat. Absolutely lovely human. Yeah, yeah. It, and that's the thing that sticks with people. Hey, like, you can talk about media training and, and all that sort of thing. But at, at the end of the day, like, you know, footy fans are investing their spare time and their passion in, into the sport. And if someone who they follow just has, like, a 30-second conversation with you and gets a, and, and gives you an autograph for a selfie or whatever, that, that, lasts, um, that can last someone's whole life. As far Absolutely. as a, a, a true life memory goes, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I met Arthur Beatson at a lunch. It was like like a lunch with him, and I can't remember who the other person was there, unfortunately. But oh, you know who it was? It was Gary Freeman. He was hilarious. So it was <laughs> Arthur Beatson and Gary Freeman. And afterwards, I went up to Arthur Beatson and I had a, a grand final book, and he signed the grand final book for me, and he signed it like "Enjoy the game." And I'll never forget that. And I always tell people to enjoy the game when I know that they're going to watch a game or something. And as you say, it's something that just sticks with you. And um, it's a memory for a lifetime. And it's something that I hope that that this generation of players, and, and there are people like that. I mean, Thurston is like that, for instance, where they realize that they can have that effect on 
people of all ages that they can yeah. give them that memory of a lifetime because I'll never forget that. And it's it's interesting hearing you talking about that now. Yeah, no, it, it really hits a chord with me too because, like, yeah, I, I mean, I uh, was taken to Penrith Park um, every second weekend, yeah, for the first 15 years of my life. And um, you'd meet those superstar players and they'd, they'd all, like, sign the back of whatever you had or whatever your dad had in his wallet. Like, mm. I remember Mal Meninga signed um, the back of – my dad was a tape teacher at Mount Druitt, and mm-hmm. uh, and and all he had for Mal Meninga to sign was the back of a um a business card, taped business card that he oh. had, and, and I've still got it. Like I've still got this card, and yeah, and um yeah, that, that and you hate to bang on about the superstars all the time being perfect and all that sort of thing, but um the the true stars of the game get it, you know, like yeah. Jonathan Thurston. Can you can you imagine? I know he does it every week, and for whatever reason they honed in on it on this this particular night. But do you remember that? Um, I think he was a Storm supporter, and and, and Thurston went over and gave him a, a kicking tee. He does it all the time, I know, but it was just on TV. This particular no, it was his headgear. That's right, it was mm. his headgear, and just a look on that kid's face. Just, yeah, you, you put like every grown-up fan put themselves in in that situation. Can you imagine like Peter Sterling doing that, like when you were young, or or yeah. a Ray Price, or a, or a, or a Phil Blake, or a Cliff Lyons, like. You know, it just changes you forever, and and the um, fortunately or unfortunately, it's the real superstars who really get that. Um, yeah, and yeah, I, I like that about them. Yeah. Although you know, and it reminds me, I remember going to a State of Origin game in the, I think it would have been maybe '96, and it was when the crowds. I mean, it was easy to get to a State of Origin game; they weren't sold out, yeah. and we were sitting. We were sitting. Uh, me and my friends were sitting like near the like the cheap seats and one of them knew justin morgan and justin morgan just grabbed us all and said here come sit come sit with me and we'll, look it was the halfway line on the concourse it wasn't anything special but i'll always remember justin morgan saying hey fellas come over here and it was something he didn't have to do but i will always remember that and he will never remember me like i was just a really extremely good looking one of the group but uh <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny how little things like that just stick with you, and um, it it's funny it, like just signing autographs and things like that. The littlest things in the world a player can do for a fan, and they just remember it for life. It's just it's something that's beautiful about rugby league, and I hope that we never lose that, and that players don't become completely inaccessible. And I don't think they will. I think that that's a big part of the game, and that players still understand that no matter all of the scrutiny they get from mostly the media and stuff, that the fans, they just want them to be happy and they want to enjoy it. Even if they're a rival or something, though, everyone just wants to enjoy this thing that we all love together, which is rugby league. Yeah, yeah. And and you're doing it in your spare time. So if it's not fun, then you're not going to do it, are you? You're not going yeah. to get on the train or, you know, sit in traffic on the way to the way to a game like you, you're just not going to take part so yeah yeah and that's, that's why i don't watch rugby union <laughs> 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 oh there's plenty of reasons for that yeah. <laughs> right. well i had one quick question before you duck off and that was is there anyone from rugby league's past who you would like to have written about um, or interviewed like that, that's died or, or um it could be any um thankfully i've still got oh gosh yeah, I'd love to um, interview Ray Price. Um, 
but I've been told because he was my hero. I, I, you know, I actually supported Parramatta the first couple of years for up to about 10 years old. I loved Ray Price and Sterling and all, those, all that sort of thing. But, um, like, I've, it's, I've, there's a theory and it's not a good idea to interview your, your true heroes. Yeah, um, yeah. I've done it a few times and been really disappointed. I don't know whether they can smell the, you know, the, the fanboy sort of air coming off you, but, yeah. I've, and But I've been warned about interviewing Ray Price. Apparently he's pretty grumpy and, you know, doesn't really care what sort of medium it is you know he's a little bit like tommy times 10 um <laughs> if, if if he hears this somehow and 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 you know wants to sit down and have a yarn that'd be great but i don't know whether i'd actually be able to get through it because too much of my childhood hero idolizing sort of thing is wrapped up in that bloke <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah it'd, it'd be interesting to interview um johnny raper as well just to get to the bottom of you know was it like how different was it back then? Has anyone even even asked him, you know, what would life be like if there was social media and cameras everywhere? I, I don't think they have. I think everyone's just put words into his mouth uh, um, as to how the good old days were. So mm-hmm. yeah, and and if I'm if I'm going to interview people like you know Munster and and Caelan Ponger and that, and that sort of thing, it'd be nice to interview. The versions of, of them back in the 50s and 60s are a pretty fun exercise, I reckon. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. thanks for dropping in, mate. Um, you've, you've got to duck off soon, so um, absolute pleasure having you on, and hopefully yeah. we'll get you on again sometime down the line as well. Oh, no, no, no thank you so much. As I said, um, your show's fantastic. There was a, an episode that you did, um, and I'm not just saying this because this is one of the only episodes of... I've listened to it. I listen to it a lot. You had a great conversation there about um, about why it would be a, a terrible idea to have a, a draft in the NRL. Mm. Um, it would have to have been one of the most intelligent conversations I've ever heard about rugby league. Like in my all my years, it was oh, wow. a, a thorough analysis of of the situation. It wasn't just you know we, we can't do it because of this. Mm. You really went into the because of this part, and um, yeah, it's, it'd be. Yeah, great if you kept that up, um, and, and I know that you will because you're both really good connoisseurs of the game, and um, yeah, make, makes really good listening, boys. So oh, enjoying thank it. Thank you so much. Thanks, and we're really we're so happy that uh, you enjoy it, and you've been a big supporter of the podcast from the very beginning. So it's been wonderful, and um, so we thank you for that. And it's it's fantastic to have you on. We hope to have you on a number of times going forward because uh, it's great to to talk to people about the game that we all love and, and just having the different um, ideas and and aspects of the game coming together in a conversation. it's We love it. We just absolutely love doing this. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, if I find the time to fire my podcast back up, you uh, will be the first guest on it, boys. So oh, beautiful. Go. How's that for a massive Any time, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that's called easing back in after you've gone around interviewing, you know, Awesome players from the eighties and nineties in there. <laughs> Get these two blokes on. <laughs> yeah, but, but they'd be nothing without the um, the fanboy turned forty year old sort of aspect of it all, would they? You know, they'd, they'd just be old grandpa sitting in, in his back shed somewhere. So yeah, they they do rely on on fanatics like like us to uh, keep their legend alive. Anyway, I think so. That's yeah. true. That's yeah. very true. Yeah, thanks for popping in, mate, and. Uh, we will we will definitely catch up with you later on down the line. 
Okay, yeah, no worries at all, boys. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you can um, check out Ferg on the Freak. We're on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, everywhere there is. So, uh, and check us out on Twitter, Fergo Freak Pod. And we'll catch you all later.